This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Gabby Barr, and I am joined by Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, how are you doing today? Gabby, I'm doing wonderfully well. I'm uh, I'm very happy to see your uh, headwear because. As some people know, the Straight Outta Crumpton brand has now expanded into headwear. So uh, you're, you're looking good on camera this morning. Thank you. And uh, I'm excited for this one. Uh, the, ge- we, the gentleman we have coming up is a long time. Uh, I'll call him an associate at this, at this level before we get into who he is. But long time uh, together. Done a lot of cool stuff together. And I was excited to talk to him about his his journey through the skilled trades and maybe some of the people that have, uh, you know, shown him some of the ropes and what have you. So I think it'll be fun. Awesome. Well, as Greg was saying, today we are welcoming Josh George. He is an automation specialist at McKinney's Inc. Josh, how are you doing today? Doing good, Gabby. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing this today. I know we've been trying to get this together for a while now. So it should be fun. Well, that's the beauty of automation is that we can move stuff around on the calendar, but the more we move it around, the more we seem to move it around. So <laughs> it's good good to uh, get it locked in and, and get going. So, well, Josh, tell us, uh, I always like to start with just a little bit of background of how you wound up where you are and, uh, you know, a little bit about you, how you, how you roll. Well, um, how I got to where I am is kind of a long story, but it started with you. Um, I don't know. <laughs> That's like, not a good way to start it off. <laughs> almost 15 years ago now, I think. Something yeah, like that. That's right. Yeah. Roughly 15 years ago um, when I moved to Charlotte and started working for the former Airtight. Um, I think I worked there as a service tech for six or seven years something like that yeah. um and then made a move to mckinney's to just kind of move into the automation side of things um to stop being a service tech and lug it around tools every day and it's kind of the brief synopsis of how i ended up where i am now a lot of a lot of stuff in between there though you know i i like your story because it's kind of you know something that i'm passionate about which is taking young folks that were kind of in the spot you were in when I met you and unsure of what they were going to do or what they should do maybe when they got out of high school. Um, You were, I guess, 17 or 18 years old when, when we met Mm -hmm. and uh, I, if memory serves me right, you were headed toward a teaching career uh, for lack of a a better way of describing it. but you didn't seem, uh, I remember when Connie and I were talking about it, my wife is Connie, that uh, it didn't seem like you were certain that college was what you wanted to do as much as kind of like it was the default way that you were going to go. Um, how, how did that, is that accurate? I've never really asked you that pointed question before. But. I, I think that's fair because I think somewhere along the way, probably my generation in the nineties, it was kind of assumed that if you want to be successful, you have to go to college. So 
people like me who kind of fall through the cracks that, you know, didn't necessarily know what they wanted to do. Like my wife, she knew she always wanted to be a teacher. So that, right. that was like a no brainer. But for me, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, there were no trades, trade classes in school and stuff like that. So I just thought, well, I guess I'll go to school, you know, and then you came along and offered something for me to try. And I've always been very mechanically inclined anyway. So I think, uh, and I, this is off topic, but obviously we're seeing more resurgence of trades coming back into schools because we're missing that. I think that's that that's definitely on topic because eventually we're going to have to go there anyway with this with this conversation. But yeah, um, you know one one thing that we hear a lot about uh, Gabby's peers this this generation Z. Uh, I guess you're officially a Z, aren't you? I think technically, yes. I'm in that weird period where I started out as a millennial and then they changed the year gap. So I think now I'm classified as Gen Z. You're a zillennial. Um, so but we hear a lot in, in every generation, you know, you hear this like, oh, these kids don't want to work. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. You know, I find the complete opposite. Because I'm always looking for, I guess, you know, maybe I'm an eternal optimist on people, but I'm always looking for people who get it done, who who like to work, who are hands-on, what have you. They're they're in every generation. And and Josh, that's what, you know, we saw in you was the the fact that like um, we've seen in other folks, you weren't just content to sit back and watch. You wanted to participate in anything. And I, the, the first thing you and I did together, I think, was wash dishes mm-hmm. uh, is, is how my memory serves me. Yep. But I think that that speaks to what people are all about, too. You know, you're either up and about doing stuff or you're watching stuff. And I think that there, you know, we we always hear that same old crap out there about people don't want to work and what have you. I think you just have to look for people that want to work and and try to assimilate them. And the more of us there are assimilating, the more we get to assimilate. So, um, so I that, talk about off topic. That was just a random thought that ha- happened to swim, swim by my, my brain, which often happens, but all right. So let's flashback. You, you got out of high school, you moved to Charlotte, where Airtight was uh, our company, and you came to work there, and uh, in my opinion, did a great job. Uh, you know, we we tried to give you exposure to a lot of different uh, verticals within the industry. You know, people talk about air conditioning, and there's this one for the general public. There's just this one thought process of what air conditioning is. But, you know, it's as broad as any other topic. Uh, if you want to be data center, uh, rooftop stuff, big chillers. I mean, there's a gabillion different routes to go. And I think early in your career, you know, we tried to expose you to as many of those routes as we could. And you excelled uh, as a student as as well as a tradesman. Um, so, you know, you got to work with a lot of cool people because uh, I know those cool people. Who were who some of the people that influenced you and what did you take away uh you know, there, there's always positive influences and there's always things not to do. And you've learned both. Um, who are some of the more positive role models that you felt like you got some of the early, you know, going back to the times when you were going to 
I remember you going to carrier school uh, and great course of, of some coursework that I went through way before you. But And then uh, I think the Lieber stuff you went through, which is now Vertiv. So who, who were some of those early people that showed you the ropes? I, I think one of the, the best pairings when I first moved up is I kind of got tagged with Nate Morris, who just kind of basically mentored me from day one. And, you know, you know, Nate, obviously very well. So he's a no nonsense kind of guy, but he's also a, a true craftsman when it comes to our trade and knows and eats and sleeps everything HVAC. So just a great guy to work with every day and a wealth of knowledge for anything you want to ask him about any, you know, every little piece of everything we're doing. I don't forget my first day with him. We were working at a Wells Fargo data center. We were working on a Liebert System 3, and I pointed to the compressor. And this shows how little I knew at the time. I said, that's the condenser, right? And he just started laughing, and he was like, nope, that's the compressor. So, you know, he just, he kind of took me under his wing, and, you know, I worked. Basically, when he worked, I worked for the most part in the very beginning. So, if he worked overtime, I worked with him, and that kind of became my mantra to where I would just work whatever airtight needed to work when they would send an email out i would just work it because the more you work the more you could learn so when i would tag team with other guys who were more experienced i could pick up more more knowledge from them along the way but nate was definitely one of them and then um denny Baumgartner as well who was kind of our pseudo service manager who literally knows everything about everything not, <laughs> not, not even just talking about hvc just Everything. Who's currently building a house at this moment, I hear. So Yeah. You can imagine how that. he's probably doing it himself, isn't he? he? He's working with someone who would allow him to do some of it, was his words to me. So God knows what that means. I feel sorry for that guy. So that, you know, those two guys in particular um, are, you know, kind of the core of what you think about when you talk about people who are giving back to the industry who are, are promoting the next generation, because there's really, there's two different kinds of technicians that I've found, you know, there's those that want to give back everything that they've learned and they want to see the up and coming ladies and, and gents learn everything they can and they support them a hundred percent. And then you have some people out there in the trades that want to uh, hold their information really close to the best and not share it. And I think that comes from a scarcity mentality uh, for the fear of somebody taking their job, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, what I have found, and this is just my super duper non-scientific observation, those people don't really know as much as they think they know. And I find that the, the, uh, the, the, I guess the tendency to withhold information is because they don't know the real story is what I find. The people who, and, you know, there's been a lot of good quotes about this. If, if you don't know it well enough, you can't simply explain it is the one that really pops out for me. And I, I want to say that that was Ben Franklin, but I don't know. But basically, if you can't explain something very simply in layman's terms, you don't fully understand. It. Um, 
So I've, I've often kind of when I see somebody acting goofy about sharing their knowledge, I always kind of my, my little antenna goes up of, of a BS meter uh, going up. Of, well, maybe they don't know as much as they want you to think they know. But anyway, um, back to Nate and to Denny, you know, uh, those two guys are classic examples of people doing it what we think is the right way, which is to give all you can give. And Denny's retired now, but Nate is a day-to-day active service manager for uh, a service logic company there in Charlotte. And, um, you know, I still talk to Nate. We still have breakfast occasionally when I'm up there, but, you know, he's all about the next generation, um, which funny enough now, Josh, is not you. You're not the next generation. You're now in the middle, you know, um, which is hard for me to think about because that means one of us is getting older. I'm not sure which, but, you know, when when you were in your early 20s, you were that generation and your peers and the cohort you came through with. And, you know, now we've got another group of, of 20-somethings that we're trying to bring along. Um, and, you know, back to the point, we so service logic, we've got, 55, 5,600 people, uh, mechanics where you work. I don't know what y'all have, uh, 500 people or whatever, whatever the number is. But, you know, the percentage of the Gen Zers in those numbers are probably close to the same. It's some percentage. And, you know, I find a lot of good people in that age group. Um, they're the, the folks that I get to interact with, men and women in that age group are super duper. Uh, inquisitive about what the heck we do once they figure out what we're trying to tell them. And a lot of it's a lack of awareness that nobody's really ever talked about air conditioning or plumbing or anything to them um, just because there was no need, A. And to your point, Josh, we until recently, the, the uh, exposure in public schools was limited. Um, but it is coming back. You know, we're starting to see these, these, uh, I guess, educational based or vocational based classrooms coming back to life. Um, so I think that that's the good thing. What, what do you see, you know, when you're out there on your job sites and interacting with the real world? Um, you know, obviously people are in scarce supply. You know, we have a three, 3% unemployment rate. For the general population, for skilled trades, we have a much lower uh, um, unemployment rate. And I think anybody that wants to work can work right now, you know, across the board. That's my political opinion. But, you know, I think in the trades, it's, it's, you know, when you go on a job, it seems like there's not as many people there that used to be there. And that is from for a couple of reasons. Um, I think what you do with the building automation piece is drawn, you know, uh, uh, or, or has maybe condensed that number of people doing work uh, pre-manufacturing, pre-building, uh, whether it be ductwork, piping, what have you, has has increased. So there's not as much need, but some job sites look damn scarce for people. Uh, what what do you see when you're out there? I mean, you you're still boots wearing every day kind of guy. Yeah, I mean most of most of the projects going on in Charlotte that we're involved with are 
they're not they're not heavily manned, and and you see it um, scheduling wise, HVAC wise, you know, like pipe fitters and sheet metal guys and stuff like that. It doesn't seem to be as bad. The area that seems to be the hardest hit is electricians. Um, they're the ones that are struggling the worst with it, and I think it's because of what you just said on our side. There's so much prefab work that goes in. You don't need 35 welders anymore. You need, you know, four guys to make a connection at A and B, whereas the electricians, they can't prefab stuff. So I think those guys are seen at the, the hardest hit. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely – they're definitely not manned up like they were. I mean, I remember being on jobs like 10 years ago, and there being a lot more people on jobs than there are now. So it's it's changing. The landscape's changing, and – seen a lot a lot of people work a lot longer i think too a lot a lot of older tradesmen than what i remember before well i think that that is a sign of the times for sure you know i've said a lot on this on this podcast that um i i am the youngest baby boomer uh born in 64 i think your mother and i share that trait if i remember right um so everybody that's on the job site that's older than I am is either wanting to retire or possibly has retired and come back to work. I've seen that as well because people are willing to pay to have skilled craftsmen on the job and they can't get them, you know, in a traditional route. So we're bringing some of the more experienced guys back uh, and ladies back. So I think that the, the you know, kind of the, the balance point is how many people do we need on job sites? And I'm talking about construction and projects as opposed to service work. Yeah. Um, but then it, it'd be juxtaposed that to service and being able to provide uh, service to customers that are in need of, you know, hot or cold or whatever. Um, that same percentage of, of technician shortage applies across the board. You know, and what you do in the building automation piece really helps that in my mind because uh, you and your uh, peers give us the ability to look at a whole building uh, remotely without having to send a technician to every floor or every device or what have you. So I think further advancement of IT and, and I don't even call it building controls anymore. It's just full building integration, whether it be HVAC automated doors, you know, ventilation, the whole thing comes down to that dashboard that you're building. Um, so, you know, I, I think the advancement in technology helps everything uh, in the supply right? You know, evil technology is a bad thing, but good technology helps us all. Do you feel like that the advancements in technology are uh, a positive way to draw more young people into the trade? I mean, is that something that, that you think about or hear about? I think, I think yes and no. Um, we've had some experience with some, some younger guys right out of, um, I don't, I don't want to call it a trade school per se, but a, a trade like school where we'll say it was building automation um, in those schools sometimes, I'm not going to generalize and say all of them, but I think some of them generally, generally say that you're basically just going to be on a computer all day. And where I work on a computer, most of the time, 
you still have to go climb wires and stuff. Um, and you still have to go troubleshoot in devices because, you know, part of our job is still to make sure that everything works from the computer here to all the way out in the field to the end devices. Um, but I, I think the technology piece is exciting to the, to the younger generation to be able to work on the computer because they're also involved. You know, they all, I grew up with a computer, but not like kids did today. You know, it's, it's changed so much. Like, you know, I remember it used to take like five minutes to get online when I was a kid, you know, and now it's like, you're just online. You know? Right. You have a phone that's just online. When I was a kid, we just had a call. You could call people. So I think they're so much more connected. So I think they like the technology side of things. It's just, I think from the training side of it and the, the tech schools, they just have to promise the right things. You can't promise you're going to sit in front of a computer. That's a great point, Josh. And I, I've said a lot that, you know, I've got a T-shirt. Actually, I got it Ashray this year. And on the back of it, it says, it's the control's fault. Of and, course. you know, there's there's always been this stigma. And our tradespeople know that that's funny because everybody blames everything on the controls uh, because, again, they don't know enough about it to actually know if it's the controls. But I think that, you know, you having the background that you have on the mechanical side makes you a superb automation person because you actually know what you are controlling. Um, I think that the gap that you kind of described from working on the computer and making a relay close versus working on the computer, making a relay close and water flow through the pipe. That missing step is the and water flow. Yes. Because I've been involved with building automation for 40 years, uh, going back to real relay logic, um, where you know the automation guy at the time, controls guy, would say, well, my red light's on, so I'm good to go. Well, Okay, your red light's on, meaning your control program works and the light bulb works, but the damn pump still isn't running. And a lot of times that person couldn't uh, move from a component mindset, which is what the controls was, into a systemic mindset, meaning what it takes to make the whole building perfect. And, uh, you know, I think what you said, uh, setting realistic expectations from these courses is is good and i also think that that information is delivered really well from craftspeople who teach um trades courses whether it be community college or union apprenticeships or what have you i feel like that if you're purely uh, an academic you don't get all that good stuff um Funny, funny that we're talking about this because last uh, Friday I was having lunch up in Charlotte with a good friend of mine, Steve Cleanson, who has worked in our industry forever uh, selling hydronic stuff, air handlers, coils, pumps. And I was in, he was introducing me to his, his kid, who's uh, a college graduate. We were just, I was just meeting him for the first time. And we were uh, discussing um, a lot of things relating to the industry. And one thing that Steve, it, it was actually the day Clemson uh, 
people pay their their loyalty dues to the school as giving day. And we we're just talking about giving back to the engineering community, which is his his cause. And uh, you know, we both felt that it was a strong validation for uh, an engineer to have to spend time in the field to see how these designs that they generated um, can be built or can't be built based on how they drilled. And, um, and I think we've, we've come a long way in that with, with uh, construction software. So we don't have uh, trade collision. We don't have a pipe where a duct's going to be or a piece of conduit for electrical or what have you. So we've come a long way in that, but there's nothing to beat going out and standing on a, you know, a slab of a building and trying to envision this, this creation that you have in your mind and on your laptop screen of what it's going to be like in 4D. And uh, it's, it's just a cool thought to think about. I don't know that we'll ever get there, but um, you know, I, I flip back over now to when you came up to Charlotte originally and you did, um, we used to do this on, on several occasions, the ride along programs. Um, so tell, tell us what that was for you, Josh, that when you came up. So I came up for a week initially and, and rode along. I think I rode with Nate for a week. Yeah. So I, I would meet him at the office every morning. And I would basically ride with him for a week and just wherever he went, we would go and I'd basically be his helper and ask questions and just kind of get a feel for it to see if it was something that I thought that I would want to do. Um, you know, not even really scratching the surface of, of the industry at all, but just, just kind of trying to see if it's something that I thought it would be. So at the end of the week, I, I think I pretty sure I came in your office and I said, like a hundred percent positive. This is exactly what I want to do. I said, I just want to come back next week and just do one more week with you. But, and then the next week I came back and did another one. And I think Thursday or Friday, you had one of our salespeople take me around and show me some nice areas of town to start looking for apartments. And then I want to say like two weeks later, I moved to Charlotte from Atlanta. So um, it was just a good ride along just to kind of get my feet wet in it to see if it was something I want to do. And, Saw a ton of different stuff because Nate works on everything and anything. So definitely ran the gamut. You know, I, I think that that just that exposure, I wish we could do that on a wider scale because, you know, we the people that I uh, talk about skilled trades with exposing the skilled trades to the world, we always uh, refer back to if we could just get people to see what really what we do. And, you know, everybody can't get a week ride along program, you know, so how do you, how do you make that message bigger? Because I really do believe that more people would be intrigued about any, any work, not just air conditioning. Of course, that's the best trade in the world, but, you know, uh, for all those secondary things in life, whether it be brain surgeon or what have you, <laughs> um, you know, that, I think the exposure could be worthwhile uh, so that when you're talking to uh, youth and you're talking to veterans coming out of the military that have never been exposed to it, how do we showcase it? You know, I always think about that, but without being overly cheesy with it, it's hard to do. 
you know, I don't know, maybe it's somebody wearing a, you, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a, um, like the police wear, you know, the, the body cam and just, you know, body cam everything for a week. And then somebody edits it, uh, you know, for human consumption or public consumption. I don't know. I'm just always think about that. What y'all got any ideas of how we can do that? Get, get people exposed in a good way. Cause I do think it's important. I think it would definitely help. I, I don't know what the right answer is there. I know that series we used to do where I was Jimmy Jack would come around and film yeah. like that needed to go wider scale than that. But like what we did in the, over the years, especially at airtight, I know every company's not the same, but at airtight, we saw so much cool stuff and we worked yeah. in so many cool places. You know, it's, it was, it was always exciting, but I don't know how to get that out for public consumption to where they can, they can see all that. Yeah. In fact, Josh, I came across one of your old uh, videos recently on YouTube. I was enjoying that. It was a compressor change, I believe, on a lever. But you're right. We, I, I think we were early in the game, but I think we had the right intent of, of showcasing what we did, not only for tradespeople, but for our customers, you know. Um, and that's where XOI, which is another piece of software that I think is absolutely fabulous, really comes in because with the XOI platform, and I'm plugging XOI, Aaron, so you know that right now. But you, if you've got a technician working on a rooftop or in a basement or what have you, the XOI platform allows you to capture a lot of this data via video and, and natural language processing. Uh, into a formatted uh, deliverable to the customer. So if your customer happens to be sitting in Chicago and you happen to be working in the basement of an Atlanta office building and you're documenting this pump failure, rather than just sending them a proposal um, on, okay, here's a pump that's faulty, here's $8,000 proposal, you're now sending them an $8,000 proposal uh, with good detail, including video content to show and hear what's going on with that apparatus. Um, and I think the more we can get video exposure to stop, uh, stop is a big word, but people, uh, they eat that up, you know, because we'd much rather look at a video than read a damn proposal. So if I've got a proposal and it's eight grand, instead of going, holy crap, eight grand. Oh my God, Abby, uh, Gabby, look behind you. I know it's the window, um, it's the window washers. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Hey, I just feel like that that's a, a good way to get exposure. And over the years, I've done a couple of really nice videos with, with our friends at market scale here, uh, a series called, do you have a career in HVAC? And we tried to really document, you know, what does a career in HVAC mean? Yes, you're going to work on equipment, some of it in cool places, some of it in dirty, hot places. But it also shows the advancement of your life and how you can have a real solid, stable, you know, home life. Uh, the wives are in there typically, you know, kids are in there typically. Uh, just kind of showing the balance of, you know, yeah, you work hard. Yeah, you work on cool stuff, but life's normal. You know, you can be, uh, but, you know, they, those don't go viral, oddly enough. You know, they should, 
because they're so well done by markets. <laughs> uh, I think the content may be uh, not as cool as somebody, you know, doing some kind of stupid dance on TikTok. But, um, I don't know. I think exposure's the key for sure. All right. So, Josh, I'm interested in your take on uh, AI and how AI is interfacing with buildings and software. And do you see AI, simple question, do you see AI as a threat or as an enhancement to uh, everything digital first? Only digital world, not talking about buildings and HVAC, but just where, where do you stand on the chat GPT type environment? I really haven't put a lot of thought into it, honestly. Um, it's not really like it, well, that's probably, yeah, I don't know. We really, I don't know that I really think it's a threat, but I mean, I guess it all comes down to, it's, it's going to all come down to programming and what the, I guess what the goal is for how they're trying to program it to what their goal is for what they're trying to use it for. You know, there, there's a lot of people that are, uh, quote unquote, nervous about it. And, you know, is it going to take over our lives? And are you a deep fake or is that the real Josh? All that crap. To me, it's like everything else in life that we're moving into. It's a hybrid world. You know, if, if I'm a, a magazine article writer, I should use AI generated content to enhance my research, not to write the article. But if I want to find out everything I would want to know about Straight Outta Crumpton podcast, I should be able to ask an intelligent machine those questions and get relevant, verified, quote unquote, verified content, um, but not for the purpose of plagiarism, but for research purposes. And I think about it, though, in building automation, you know, what is it going to look like um, and you may know this answer already. Can we talk to building controls in, in native language right now? Can I tell the thermostat in my office, hey, Siri, go up two degrees? I mean, is that is that product out there yet that you know of? Residentially, yes. I don't know of any like industrial or commercial applications for that. Yeah. Generally, nobody wants to give any end users that kind of controllability right but i mean the technology is there i mean it could easily be done i just wonder when, when will i mean i know we're going to see it you know yeah you can tell uh siri or alexis or, or whoever turn the thermostat down to 50 but your building control system is going to be smart enough only to go to this threshold you mm -hmm. know, by having uh lockable uh variables in it but I think that's going to be really interesting to see a fully automated office um, from from, you know, human comfort to lighting to, um, you know, in Charlotte, Josh, you probably have seen these little robots rolling around delivering lunches. Yep. Um, our friend Jason Banks, who's been on this program with Banks Electrical, um, had a picture of a robot that he was advertising on delivering lunch to a job site, uh, you know, so I think that that's really cool. And obviously these are little nascent technologies that we're figuring out how to use just like chat GPT. We're all figuring that out 
but I'm anxious to see how it works into our, our, uh, work lives. But then, you know, the theme of this podcast is how that will impact people because we're still a people business, you know, um, I saw an article this morning where one of our folks attended uh, some training last week. And it was just really cool that what they got out of it was not the coursework. I mean, the coursework is the coursework. You learn this, you learn that, you know. But that time at the bar, having a beer with somebody or having a glass of tea with somebody that works in Denver, Colorado, and you work in Memphis, Tennessee, and being able to sit and have those uh, one-on-one interactions in real time, I've yet to find out a way to replace that. I mean, this is good. This is video chat. It's damn near in real time. Uh, but I can't, you know, reach over there and pat Gabby on the back. You know what I mean? It's, it's still one step removed from real life. I don't know what's going to evolve, but it, it's it's going to be cool to watch. I'm, I'm so glad that I'm at a point in my life where I get to be here and, and see this continued development. But I used the word a while ago, hybrid, and I think we're going to continue to see that, you know. So, Josh, what what are you guys doing uh, as an industry or as a company, whatever, however you think about it? What are you all doing for what's coming next, you know? And and what I mean by that, my job right now is like I know uh, at Service Logic how we're going to go catch a service call in August. I know how we're going to be safe on job sites in September of this year. I don't know what that's going to look like in four years. So I like to spend some time in thinking about that. You know, what do, what do we look like next? And um, I'm always curious of everybody's take on what they see next for either themselves, their company, or their industry. Have you, have you given that any any thought? Yes, I mean, for, for the building automation world, the, the next big steps are, are going, getting out of having infrastructure in buildings and going strictly cloud-based. And we've been doing a lot of um, R&D on that side of things to get, you know, basically where you don't have a computer in a building to where you're basically on like an AWS server cloud-based. Um, and then, Using AI, going back to AI, kind of for data analytics and trying to predict failures, which I'm on the fence with that because mechanical equipment is mechanical equipment. And I think you can predict it to some degree using certain tools, but at the end of the day, it could work today and be broken tomorrow. Um, so those are two really big ones. Um, and they're, they're trying to get AI into the analytics more. So, I mean, everybody's pushing for more of that side of stuff. It's more, I don't want to say big brother systems because that's kind of how building engineers look at it because they, they think of it as somebody looking over their shoulder, but it's really more, you know, energy consumption, water usage. It's all about, you know, the resources, basically. Not so much as checking up to make sure people are doing their jobs is more of that side of things. Well, that's the scarcity crowd, you know, they're, they're worried about their job. They're not worried about the building. Exactly. Um, so w- when, when you talk about that infrastructure, is that IoT devices? So it, a, a valve is sitting alone and not wired anything? Or what, what does that look like to you going forward? So right now, whereas in the past, like everything, all of our controllers in the building, right? Like the way we're doing buildings now, 
everything would have been, you know, like a three wire connection, device, device, device. Right now, everything we're doing is Cat5. So if the technology gets there to go wirelessly from, you know, like the Cat5 controller at a VAV to go wirelessly to all the end devices, you know, like to the thermostat and the discharge air sensor and that kind of stuff, then we'll eventually we'll make that leap. It's not quite there yet. It's it's not there on the on the comm side though. It's it's too slow. Like you, know, if you're doing like a one story building, that's fine. But like we're doing a project that's a 42 story building, and it's just not feasible. So every device has Cat Five going to it, and it all goes back to an IT closet on every floor, and then goes to a switch basically. Exactly. Right? Yeah, it all goes down to punch down panels and switches, and then that one actually is on a on a cloud based server. But going forward, that's our goal is to try and get computers out of every building. That way there's no there's no computer failures. Right. And then everything will be mirrored at that point. Well, that's where, you know, I've, I've got a, a friend, Robert uh, Schmidt, who I've been friends with forever. And he's uh, their company's big into digital twins. So every building that exists, you know, in in real life in 40, they can replicate in 3D in their system and do a real a lot of you know R and D playing around with buildings in the digital twin without negatively impacting the real building or hospital room or data center or whatever you want to digitize. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. But you know, back to the people side of this thing, um, I and. I said a while ago that I worry about those people because that to me comes from a negative or a scarcity mentality, but it's kind of like you, you need to figure out how to embrace this because it's not going to stop because Larry in the boiler room doesn't want it. It's coming. It's here. Um, so it's a matter of enhancing it and making the human piece of it easier and more open to me rather than closed-minded and closed off. Interesting, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm anxious to see how that goes. And we've talked about it with Gat, like Gabby, where she lives, you know. Um, we were talking about, I think we were talking about the uh, fire alarm or something one day and what you knew about it and how interactive you wanted to be with your home versus, you know, when the plumber came, did you want to see what he was doing under the counter or was it strictly just fix the problem? I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I think people are interested in their spaces, whether they want to touch the, the P-trap under the sink or whether they just want to have information that all of their water systems are working properly. Um, that's going to be interesting the lack of technicians and the lack of skilled tradespeople right now only enhances that ability to me because um, there, there's a company that I'm familiar with called In Clarity, the letter In Clarity. Uh, Jim uh, Crowder's company, they're doing some really cool things with predictive analytics, uh, cloud based, meaning um, so. Gabby, think about your office building right there that y'all are in. It's 50 some odd stories. Most of the mechanical systems are identical as you go up the stack. The bottom's a little bit different because it's wider. It's got more stuff in the bottom. But the the ability for the system, quote unquote, to monitor 
what's going on within the building and get feedback in real time to a dashboard right. to one person rather than having six people running around looking at all this stuff uh, is really where we're headed because there's not six people to run around and look at stuff. There's one guy or one girl. Yeah. So he's doing some really cool stuff with the, with that data. And, you know, I think about it from, from our company, uh, we have, I mean, we've got one customer that has a quarter million pieces of equipment and there's probably 25 different iterations of equipment. So you've got, you know, 10 different categories with all these pieces of equipment in it. You can do some pretty cool predictive analytics with that, like market, say, um, Okay, you've got, you know, 36,000 of these carrier unit model number, so-and-so, so-and-so. By predictive analytics, you can say that 63% of the time you're going to lose a fan motor between month 90 and month 100. So you should order three fan motors for that facility. Um, I think it helps supply chain issues. I think it keeps you out of uh, being in emergency situations more, um, but it doesn't replace humans is where I think at the end of the day, it comes down to enhancing the humans. Um, so I hope people can get comfortable with that. Um, there's just going to be fewer of us doing it uh, due to there being fewer people getting into trades unless we go back to what we've been talking about and create that awareness. And, you know, there, there's some kind of monolithic piece out there that we haven't figured out yet how to communicate, but uh, we got to figure that out at some, some point. So, Josh, as you are uh, entering into, you know, what you could call your the midpoint of your career, early midpoint anyway, what do you want to do? What do you what excites you about the industry other than 3.30 and going home? <laughs> Who gets to go home at 3.30? <laughs> Gabby. Yeah. Um, 3.30 Eastern. Oh, yes. Wait, no, that would be 2.30 here. (laughs) I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know. We have a new boss and me and him have had some discussions as far as where I see myself moving in, in our industry and in our company. I mean, I, I love my company where I'm at, so. I'm happy here, but I mean, I, honestly, I don't know where I see myself moving down the road. I enjoy being yeah. in the field. So, you know, it's, we've had some discussions, but I'm not, I'm not really not sure where I want to end up at that yeah. point. It's, I love what I do. I mean, I work a lot of hours and I enjoy working a lot of hours because I, I enjoy doing what I do. It's, I don't know what else I would do. In all honesty, I mean, when we don't. I know exactly how you feel, Josh. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I mean, when when we're not really busy and, you know, I'm not working, I'm like, I'm just kind of like, I don't know what to do with myself. So it's, uh, yeah, I I see myself moving more into like a, into more of a mentoring role, like field supervisory position, kind of maybe down the road in five years or so, but we're not there yet people wise. So have you given any thought to, or have y'all as a company given any thought to kind of doing a, uh, I think you call your group ASC over there, which is automation and systems. ACS, uh, automation control systems. 
Okay. Do y'all think about running an in-house training program on a, on a bigger scale and, and doing that? Or is that just done in-house right now? What do y'all think about that or have you thought? We've had such a hard time trying to find people. Charlotte's been growing. I mean, obviously, you know, Charlotte. So, I mean, it's it's been such a small market for so long, but it's growing so much right now. It's 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 a struggle to find people because everybody's clawing at the same same little group of people. So I I don't know I don't know what that looks like because you know as we work on I can think of 15 different, you know, manufacturing systems that we work on. So it's like, you know, where do you start by training somebody? Brand names you're talking about. Yeah, so like train carrier, yeah. but you know underneath right. train there's, you know, six systems. So Right. Today you may work on four different four different ones of those, so it's I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the master plan is there from our new boss, but I know going forward we're going to start training a little different than we have in the past because the way we have been doing it when we hire new guys and younger guys has not been working. Yeah, I, I still go back to what you did. You know, getting exposure and this costs money. There's no doubt that it costs money to train people, but you know. I know what our training budget is. I see it. Uh, but how are you spending those dollars? You know, you're going to spend them. So you want to spend them with max effectiveness. And what works it may, may be different for different people. You know, some people, as y'all know, respond better to theoretical training with a little bit of hands-on. Some people more hands-on, a little bit of theory. You know, how do you balance that and what does that look like? It, it really comes down to, uh, which is really hard to do, but that's probably why it's good, is personalized training programs because we all do learn differently. Um, but, you know, you can't train a whole cohort of people. You can't change, train 12 people simultaneously individually. You know, you have to have, I know that was a little bit of a brain tease, Gabby, you look, you rolled your eyes a little bit on that one. So, but it's, um, this is probably somebody I know, but tell them, hey, um, but it, it's, um, it's difficult. You know, how do you, how do you give every individual what they need to excel, but still have some kind of baseline program? You know, I don't know. There, there's magic to it. Uh, I'm reading a great book right now, somewhere around here called Smart Growth. And it talks about the, the learning curve being an S shape and the bottom being relatively flat while you're kind of getting started. And then as you go up, you know, you're picking up speed as you're picking up knowledge. And then you get to the top of the S, it's more of a mastery. Um, but that climb is where the difference is. You know, the, the flat part of the S to me is the, the baseline and, and that's the general knowledge. Like how does a building automation system work? Regardless of the brand name, what is the logic line? And then, you know, the, the curve, the, the increase uh, or, or the height of the S is where you really start nailing down the pieces of it. Train, voyage, you know, all these different brands and all the different subsets of control. Until you get to the top of the S where you, you're in more of an overarching. Uh, now I've got mastery of several, knowledge of most. You know, and I've never heard of that one. You know, that's kind of the mastery spot. But it's going to be interesting to see uh, how we adopt 
our training techniques as, as an industry to the individual needs. So uh, I know it's wide ranging, wide ranging conversation, but I, I think it's important that we have these chats because we all have to think differently. You know, the old adage of what got us here and won't keep us here uh, applies really well in this day and age. So as we climb the hour here, we're getting, this is where Gabby cuts us off, John. She starts giving me the, uh, the, the gaff <laughs> sign, so I know we have to get through. But um, any party thoughts of you know what kind of futuristic visions that you have, or where you where you give us a parting nugget, other than your house is finally going to be complete and you'll be able to move into your new home, which is proud for you. Congrats. I don't know that I really have any parting wisdom nuggets. I, I think, I mean, I see a, I see a definite incline in, in the trades coming back, which I think is, is good for all of us. I mean, that's, that's, that's the best thing I see going on in, in the world today. <laughs> well, that's just, which that, is sad to say, but I think that's the best no, thing going on. Man, that's the best thing I've heard all day. Yeah. Um, I made the mistake of reading a newspaper this morning. So. Yeah. I try not um, to do that. The, me too. And then, you know, I'm having coffee and bam, it's right there in front of me. So, um, I'm, I'm proud to be able to, to say that uh, through efforts of many, many thousands of people, you know, from legislation to teachers, to tradespeople, to students, uh, this thing, I believe, is turning around to a degree. Uh, long way to go. Uh, you know, we're starting to hear money being budgeted. There, there's programs in place. So I think we just have to take, continue to work on taking the stigma away from it. Uh, just because you've got big, ugly hands that know how to do stuff does not make you uh, less than. Uh, in, in some cases, to me, it makes you greater than uh, human because people that can do stuff is cool. So I think we're getting there. I think we're on the right way or headed the right way. The hat wearing by Gabby, obviously setting the tone of where we're headed with this whole thing. So um, that's where I'm at. I'm 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 loving it. I, I love the conversation. There's so much good stuff going on right now in the industry. Uh, young people are excited by a lot of different things. Uh, young people are extremely uh, vocal right now. You know, the the ability to not speak out is gone. If you've got an issue, by God, you've got a platform. And if you don't exercise it right now, it's your own fault. Yep. Uh, hooray for the voices. All right. So, Miss uh, Miss Barr, why don't you begin to wrap this puppy up and let's call it a day. Greg, Josh, thank you both for the great conversation today. It is always a pleasure. As for everyone else, Thank you for joining us for another episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. Make sure to go subscribe to the podcast through wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to check out gregcrumpton.com for all of your Greg Crumpton content.